The passage is in Hebrews 13, um, and I would just invite you all to stand with me as we read the word together. Hebrews 13, verses 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? All right. Uh, Man, Mason students, welcome back from spring break. Hope you had a good time on break and that the uh, the last half of your semester goes well. Just grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And uh, man, just love worshiping with you, singing praise to our God and King, and now being able to open up God's word together. So let's go to him in prayer. Uh, before we do that. Father, we give you thanks that we can come before you this morning. We give you thanks that you've called us into your presence. We give you thanks that we get to do that together. That we're not here just by ourselves. That though we are individual, we have our own personalities, our own likes and dislikes. Lord, you've called us together as a family to be a unit together. To be redeemed by the blood of Christ, made brothers and sisters in Christ. So we might encourage one another, build one another up, and then go out to the world and tell them about you. And so Lord, as we open up your word, we pray this morning that you would use your word to revive our souls. That you would use your word this morning to make wise the simple. That you would use your word this morning to rejoice our hearts. That you would use your word this morning to enlighten our eyes. Father, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would both encourage us and convict us where that's needed, that we might continue to walk in repentance and faith with our gaze set on Christ our King. May you be honored this morning. Father, I pray that you would make us a healthy church as we seek to submit ourselves fully to you. And so we lift this time up to you as we open up your word and pray that you bless it. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I'm sure you've uh, you've all seen this before at different times. Maybe if you watch something like Planet Earth or, or some kind of show about nature where there's two animals that oftentimes are very different from one another, but they look like they're helping each other out. They're serving one another. Maybe one of the places you first learned about that wasn't on planet Earth, but on Finding Nemo, right? You've got a clownfish and the anemone, and they work with one another. The the anemone of the clownfish protects the anemone from other fish that might seek to eat it, and the anemone with its kind of electrical uh, tentacles, stinging tentacles that it has, protects the clownfish from fish that might eat it. Or maybe you've seen those little birds they look like they're taking their life into their hands or their wings or their feet or whatever they have uh, when they go inside the mouth of a crocodile and seek to peek, pick food out of the crocodile's teeth. But what's happening there? Well, the crocodile's getting a nice teeth cleaning and the bird gets a meal. 
The technical term for this is mutualism, which is a kind of symbiotic relationship. And it can happen not just between animals, but humans and animals too. Maybe a person and a dog. A dog might provide some protection and companionship, maybe a deterrent, sometimes even provide work if they work in a place like a farm where a dog is taken care of, fed, and loved on. There's also the example of a shepherd and sheep. The sheep provide the shepherd with wool that can be sold for profit. The sheep, in turn, get taken care of by the shepherd. Well, our text today speaks about a kind of symbiotic relationship between two groups of people that can provide mutual benefit to one another. In this case, it's the church and the leaders of the church. And as the author of Hebrews seeks to close out this glorious letter, he highlights what it looks like for God's people to follow their leaders and to help them to fulfill their calling and their responsibility with joy. In short, the author is pastoring us about pastors. Now, i got to be honest, this text is a little bit strange to be preaching this morning. Because the author, if we look at this, as we'll get into this, gives clear commands clear commands to the church about how you are to live in response to your leadership. How you're supposed to live in response to your pastors. Well, I'm one of those people. So it's a little bit weird. It might seem self-serving for me to stand up and tell you how you should treat or act as it relates to me. But my hope is it'll be quite the opposite of that. I hope that as we dive into this text that you'll see the gift the gift that leadership is in your life as you seek to follow Jesus. Some of you have had good experiences with leaders in your life, and I praise God for that. Some of you have had terrible or bad experiences in your life. But no matter what your past experience has been, I hope that today God will use his word to help you and me see his good design. See his good design and that all of his commands are for your good. Genuinely for your good. And because of that, that you'll see how when we together humbly and graciously work with one another, we both benefit. We both experience joy and are both better able to live out and honor and glorify our God as we seek to walk faithfully in and with the mission that he's given to us. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our text this morning in Hebrews 13. Now we know the text that Rodrigo just read this morning is short. It's just these three verses. But before we really dive into verses 17, 18, and 19, I want us to go back briefly to the place in this section where the author first mentioned leaders and leadership. And that's back in verse 7. In verse 7 of Hebrews 13, the author says, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As Mike faithfully preached last week, he highlighted in reference to this verse that when it says to remember your leaders, that the author is likely referring to past leaders. And in these past leaders in particular are leaders who have influence, have had influence in and over this little church. But a key truth we learn from verse 7 is that leaders are people who speak the word of God. They're people who speak the word of God. They're proclaimers of God's word by their mouths. 
and they evidence the, the realness of God's word, the, the truth of God's word, the aliveness of God's word through how they live. And so that's important for us to understand as we look to verses 17 through 19. What does the author say? Let's look at verse 17 again. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. While verse 7 might be referring to past leaders, verse 17 most definitely is referring to present leaders. So who are these present leaders? Well, he's talking specifically about pastors. Now, why do I say that? The reason I say that is because of what these leaders are said to be doing. They're called to keep watch over your souls. They're overseers. They're shepherds. In the New Testament, the term most often used to describe these leaders in the church is translated as overseer or elder. Now, in our culture, Uh, definitely in the West and really probably now around the world, our culture often refers to these leaders as pastors. And so the term elder and pastor are synonymous terms. All pastors are elders and all elders are pastors, whether they're employed or paid by the church or serve uh, as a volunteer with their time to help pastor the church. To be most accurate in the way that we could think about this is really to say that the role is elder. But what elders do is pastor. They shepherd God's people. So here in verse 17, we we get a little bit of a a synopsis, a a short bite-sized synopsis of the role and the responsibility of pastor elders. Keeping watch over your soul. But my guess is, is that there's two other words that jump off the page to some of you in a more significant way. Obey and submit. Now, words matter in life. We see that all the time in the news these days. Political figures get into trouble at times over particular words or phrases that they say. Sometimes things that they don't say. But to particular words and phrases that are used, that, that can be all over the news because words matter. And the reason is, is because words have both denotation and connotation to them. The denotation of a word is the actual meaning of that word. It's the the true definition of the word. The connotation of a word is the the kind of read-between-the-lines meaning. So, for instance, the word steadfast often has a positive connotation to it, where the word stubborn has a negative connotation to it. Though both words could essentially be communicating the same thing. So we have a highly individualistic culture that we find ourselves in. We, we often pride ourselves on being self-made and self-actualized. Being independent and self-sufficient. So words like this and the ideas, the connotations behind words like obey and submit can rub us the wrong way. This text is difficult simply because our culture is very against authority. It's against authority and because authority has been abused. It has been misused, even within the church. But even though this is the culture we find ourselves in, and even though we've all had various experiences and exposure to abusive or misused authority, 
this is still God's word to us. This is God's word to us. And God's word is not a suggestion for your life. God's word is in and of itself authoritative for your life. Because it's God who gives this word to you. These are commands given and they're always for your good. They're to be obeyed because of who gives them to you. God is precise with his words. He's particular in his use of words. And so the use of obey and submit aren't throwaway words. He he, he uses those words intentionally. And by using them, he must be seeking to communicate something to us for our good. Now the word obey has the sense of receiving the teaching given to you by your leaders. As God's word is communicated, remember back to verse 7. Remember your leaders who proclaimed, who spoke, who gave God's word to you. The idea of obey is that I'm actually taking what's being communicated to me, taking what's being preached and applied to my life, and I'm taking it seriously. I'm seeking to follow. I'm seeking to obey it. And this doesn't mean that you don't think for yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't weigh everything that's communicated to you against Scripture. This is God's Word. What, what I say to you or anyone else who gets up and preach, preaches must be submitted to God's Word. And so we should weigh what's being taught, weigh what's being said against God's Word. But at the same time, what it means is that we believe and we trust that God has put leaders in your life to help you understand God's Word, to help you apply God's Word, and to help you grow in Christ-likeness, grow spiritually. Now the word submit probably has a little bit more of a negative connotation for us in our culture. But the idea of submit has the sense of trusting, following leadership. And so the opposite then of obedience, the opposite of submission then would be rebellion or defiance, rejection, distrust being unresponsive or just flat out disobedient. Now, this is not a call to blind obedience. It's not a call to blind submission to authority. Sometimes leaders get things wrong. Sometimes leaders make mistakes that should not be followed. Blind obedience or blind submission is dangerous in any aspect of life, even within the church. In its most extreme example, it would be something like a cult and cult leaders that display an abuse of authority and blind submission and what can happen with that. This is also not a call to obedience simply because someone is in a position of authority. See, it's a call to obey. It's a call to submit, a call to trust, a call to follow because of because of what these leaders are charged to do. Because of what these leaders are called to do. To keep watch over your soul. To care deeply for you. To seek to lead you. And who one day will give an account for how they've done that. Which we'll come back to in a minute. But here's where I think this really, what this really boils down to for us. I think it boils down to the difference between authority and authoritarian. The difference between authority and authoritarian. To be an authoritarian is someone who favors or enforces strict obedience at the expense of personal freedom. 
It's someone who is heavy-handed in their leadership, is kind of dictator-light or tyrannical in their leadership. It's the biblical term that we see is a lording it over you, holding you down and telling you what you must do and sometimes oppressing you through that, restricting you through that. That's why, that in and of itself is why it can be hard to think about obeying and submitting to leaders. Some of you have experienced this personally. You've experienced this personally when someone who was charged with and called to love you and care for you and lead you hasn't done that. Maybe it was a parent or a spouse or a teacher or a coach or a pastor. Someone who abused you in some way, whether physical or sexual or verbal or emotional. And if that's you, I want you to know I'm sorry that that's been your experience. I'm sorry that's been your experience. That makes me sad that that's what you've experienced. That actually makes me angry that someone would treat you that way. But, but what I don't want you to do this morning is to throw all of the goodness of authority out the window because of the sins of a few. See, what I want us to understand this morning, what I want us to see is that authority, just that word authority, isn't a bad thing. It's a gift from God, and when it's exercised in the manner in which he intended, it is for our good. See, authority, when it's rightly used, it doesn't lead to oppression. Authority, when it's rightly used, doesn't lead to any kind of subjugation or personal despair. It leads to thriving. It leads to flourishing for all who are under that authority. This is why he's calling the church to obey and submit to its leaders. See, according to Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus gave pastors to the church. He gave them to the church as a gift to help them grow, to help them thrive. It, It isn't because they're the boss. It isn't because they always get it all right all the time. Or that they're more gifted or they're more special than everyone else. He calls the church to follow their leaders because it's for their good, it's for their joy, so that you might grow, that you might mature more and more into the image of Christ. He calls the church to this because pastors are charged with keeping watch over your soul. See, we need to understand that the aim of leadership isn't just to be in leadership. To be in control, to be in power. The aim of leadership is to profit or benefit the people. To help you keep believing. To keep living like Jesus is better. So the goal of pastors, any pastor, isn't just to get you saved. It's to see you finish the race. That's what we do. It's what Peter calls pastors to do in 1 Peter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 3, he's speaking to pastor elders. He says this to them, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
See, leaders in Jesus' church are shepherds. And like shepherds, leaders in Jesus' church must be vigilant and awake and watchful. The idea of keeping watch over your souls actually has the sense to it of staying awake at night because of specific people. Like, I can't sleep because I'm thinking about you or praying for you or you come to mind. That's the idea of watching in the biblical term. And leaders in this way are called to do this with patience and joy and grace. It's key for us to understand that the authority that pastors have, though, is not authority in and of itself. It is derived authority. It's derived authority. It's derived from the chief shepherd. Listen to these words about and from Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, what do we see about this in Jesus? Jesus doesn't just lead the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. So pastors appointed by Jesus are given authority by Jesus, from Jesus, but it's to be exercised like Jesus does it. Exercised as humble servant leaders who are willing to lay down their lives for the sheep, just like he did. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes this about Jesus. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is the pastor of his church, he's the pastor elder of the church. So church, it's good for us to remember it's Jesus who protects us. It's Jesus who guides us. It's Jesus who fights for us, who leads us through the wilderness. It's Jesus who makes us like himself. And it's Jesus who will lead us all the way home to be with him forever. And as we journey in this life, we find ourselves, as Brian said earlier, in this now and not yet, we wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come yet we still exist in a broken world. We experience suffering and difficulty and we struggle with sin. God has gifted to his church under shepherds, pastors, leaders to help along the way to serve his people as they seek to watch over you and care for you. Because these pastors, these under shepherds are in place, they must always be fully submitted then to the chief shepherd. We are under authority. We are under authority and are called and set to set an example for you. Pastors in the church then should be lead repenters. We should be lead servants, leading in faith and in generosity and in worship and in faithfulness. And we get to do that among you and with you. We're not, we're not separated out from you. We don't have some other place that we exist. We're in the flock among you and with you. We are here to serve you. And while this is all true, 
And something we can't forget that I, as a pastor elder, can't forget is that Jesus is the only perfect pastor elder of his people. If you put your hope in a pastor, you are going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because pastors are imperfect people. Imperfect people who don't just point you to the Savior, but actually need the Savior. Now this doesn't mean that in our imperfection that you're then kind of have a pass just to disregard the leadership of your pastor or reject Jesus' church. It just means that in the midst of us working together, striving together, seeking to faithfully obey, seeking to faithfully follow the leaders that God has given to you, that all of us are always not looking to them, but looking to the Savior that they proclaim. Keeping our eyes on him, the one who actually laid down his life for the sheep. At Sojourn, one of our core values as a church is Christ. That shouldn't be rocket science for us, but in our day and age, that's a distinctive for the church in America. Christ, because Jesus is everything, and he changes everything. He must be preeminent then in everything we do as a church. That's why the pastors of this church hope and pray that every song we sing, every sermon that's preached, that everything we do will ultimately and fully point to our God, point to our King, point to our Savior, and give Him worship, and give Him honor, and give Him praise, because He's the only one that deserves it. I would rather rather you, at any point in time that you come, whether it's one Sunday or a thousand Sundays in the life of this church, that you walk out of here each and every week as we gather together, not thinking about how great a sermon was or a song that was sung, but how great our Savior is. And Jesus, the chief shepherd, has shown us. He's shown us what true authority and leadership looks like. He's the model for every pastor. Psalm 23 talks about our good shepherd. And it says the good shepherd leads us to still waters and green pastures. He leads us to places of peace and rest and security and comfort. Not in the things of this world, but in in him. And so that means that's what pastors are called to do too. To lead you to still waters and green pastures. We are called to lead you moving forward in faithfulness to be and do all that God has called us to be and do together. We're called to feed you, proclaiming God's word over you, nourishing you with the word of God as it's preached and proclaimed, as it's read and shared, as it's prayed over you and specifically uh, applied to and addressed into your life as individuals. We are called to care for you Serving you as a holistic person, an embodied soul who needs to be encouraged and prayed for and exhorted and corrected and reminded of who you are in Christ. We're called to protect you, protect you from false teaching and shady theology and wolves who would seek only to advance their own agendas and their own glory instead of God's glory. And listen, I say we intentionally because this is never about me. 
I may be the one who preaches most often for our church and is seeking to lead out our church in in vision and, and to help lead our leaders forward, but this isn't about me. We do this together. The pastors of your church work together in what's called a plurality of leadership. It means that all of us now and in the future, anyone who's a pastor, elder in this church, whether they get paid by Sojourn Church or not, are equal in authority. And we hold one another accountable. We work with one another. We're better together than we are separate. We all submit under the authority of the leadership and lordship of Jesus. Man, some of our greatest joys, even just recently as pastors in this church, is that we've gotten to gather together as pastors and pray over those who are sick and suffering. Laying hands on them, anointing them with oil, as James 5 calls us to. That we've gotten to pray through and work on and share with you the vision of our church where we see God leading us and what we're hopeful to happen in the life of our church over the next three to five years. Man, preaching through the book of Hebrews over this last year, preaching that over you is a joy for me and for the other pastors and preachers. As counseling happens, one of the things I love hearing from Edward, one of our other pastors, is when he said, man, Satan lost a battle today. And as he meets with you and sees the light in your eyes and the grace of God come into your heart and your life, man, that's joyful for us. As we seek to gather every week, as we gather in community groups and see people processing the word of God, man, that's one of the things I love about my community group. I don't, I don't lead it. I just get to be a part of it. To see brothers and sisters opening up God's word, even this text, and saying, what does this mean for my life? How do I apply it to my own life? Man, what joy. What joy from that. See, like Jesus, the goal and aim of your pastors is to use our God-given authority to help you flourish, to help you thrive. That's our greatest joy, and we get to do it with you. The sobering reality, though, is that one day we will have to give an account for how we've done that. Look at verse 17, the middle of it again. It says, For they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. This command should make any person who is a pastor, any person who ever desires to be a pastor, tremble. With the weight of spiritual responsibility that one day I will stand before the chief shepherd who will look me in the eyes and say, how did you shepherd my people? Tremble with the weight of spiritual responsibility rather than boast or flex in the right to rule. And it means that one day there will be a reckoning for shepherds who did not feed, who did not lead, who did not care for the sheep of God as God called and commanded him to. Reading this text this week, studying it this week, I, I can't just casually say, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. Those words, that word should come off my tongue with with a little bit of hesitation. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd of God's people. That, That word has weight to it, not because of status, not because of power, because of the fear of the Lord. Here's something in the midst of that that's super important for all of us to remember. Your shepherds are sheep too. 
Your shepherds are sheep too. All of us are completely dependent on the chief shepherd. And I say that to you, but I'm saying it to myself. And that's good for me to remember. While being held to a higher standard, while I will stand before the chief shepherd as an under-shepherd and give an account for how I've pastored you, what's the same for me is my justification. I'm made right with God in the same way that anyone else is. I don't have a separate justification as a pastor, a separate way to be made right with God as a leader. I too am made right with him through Christ alone, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's good news for me today and every day because I often wrestle with performance. And I wrestle with perfectionism. I want everything to be right all of the time. And the reality is it won't. And, and, and I won't be right all the time. This is good news for me today because when I screw up, and I have, and I will, when any of us fail at leading, and we have, and we will, when we let you down and don't care for you well, and we have, and we will, that even in the midst of that, that it is and always will be the blood of Christ my King, my shepherd who makes me brand new, who makes me whole, who makes me God's son, who makes me and all the rest of the pastors of this church sufficient to do the work he's called us to. Sojourn, in the simplest way I can say it, I need Jesus. And every other pastor at this church needs Jesus, just like all of you need Jesus. See, this text in Hebrews 13 is about the church's responsibility towards leadership and leadership's responsibility toward the church. The command for God's people is to obey and submit to its leaders, not blindly, but as they are submitting to Christ. And there's a sobering seriousness to this, both for the church and its pastors, because we can both disobey God's call and command given in this text. See, obedience to these commands and calling isn't to be done begrudgingly, but with joy. When my kids obey, but do it begrudgingly, we try, we don't always remember to do this, but we try, because sometimes I just want them to listen, but we try to stop and say, hey, it's not just about doing this. It's about what's going on in your heart. That God's calling you to do things for your good, for his glory. And he's given you parents, imperfect parents, but he's given you parents for your good, for your joy. Shepherding and leadership is to be done with grace and humility and love. And obedience and submission on the part of God's people is a picture of being respectful and supportive and a team player. See, that's the good thing about our church is that the covenant members of Sojourn hold the pastors of Sojourn accountable. And the pastors of Sojourn hold you as covenant members accountable. Not at odds with one another, but because we are for one another. See, the enemy would love nothing more than to create a chasm or distrust between the two. That means that any tension that does exist or that might exist must be resolved for our own good and for the glory of God. 
And see, the mutuality that we see in this text is that you make it a joy for us to pastor. Look at verse 17 again. See, the second part of the command is to let them do this with joy and not with groaning. But that would be of no advantage to you. This is another command. Let them do this with joy. What would cause your pastors to groan in their pastoring? And when we see brothers and sisters not resolving conflict in a biblical way, not eagerly striving to maintain the unity that Jesus has purchased for us, when we meet with you and encourage you and, 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 and challenge you and exhort you to follow Christ, if we don't see you taking that seriously or disciplining yourself for godliness, when people don't show grace or patience, or understanding, or care to one another or to us. When people are disobedient, complaining, overly critical, unloving towards one another or towards us. And when people don't participate and partner with us instead of just sitting on the sidelines. When there are impossible expectations. But man, what gives us joy? What gives us joy is seeing you live out your calling. What gives us joy is seeing you become more like Christ. From one degree of glory to another. What gives us joy is seeing you love Jesus more. And out of the overflow of loving Jesus more, that you're loving others more and you're showing mercy to those in your community and outside of your community. That you're sharing your faith. That you're overflowing to the point of where you have to tell people about Jesus. When you're being conformed to the character and conduct of Christ. When you're pursuing holiness and humility. When you are quick to listen. Slow to speak. When you bear with one another. And you forgive each other quickly. And you strive eagerly to maintain unity with one another. When you genuinely love us and one another. Being for us and for one another. Man, that gives us joy. And the reality is, what this text says and what is true to life is that when it isn't a joy, it actually affects you. Not just the pastors. Because it becomes distracting and difficult and it doesn't advance the gospel. It doesn't make disciples and it is not pleasing to our God. And the shepherding can be challenging at times. Challenging different ways and, and sometimes men who God calls to be pastor shepherds don't make it to the end. They don't finish well. In recent years, many of us have seen pastors disqualify themselves from ministry because of sexual immorality, domineering leadership, bullying, intimidation, arrogance, and an unwillingness to confess and repent. We've seen even just recently pastors burn out and abruptly quit ministry because they, they ran too hard for too long and they didn't take care of themselves and they weren't taken care of by their church. At the end of the day, the warning signs were there, but they weren't heeded. And now these men are statistics. One writer speaks to these statistics about pastoral ministry. He says this, 80% of pastors, 
80% of pastors believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 80% of pastors feel unqualified and discouraged. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider a close friend. 50% of pastors starting out will not last five years. And only one out of every 10 pastors will actually retire as a pastor. Now, why do I share that with you this morning? It's not to make you feel sorry for me, make you feel sorry for us. Brothers and sisters, I get to shepherd you. Man, what a joy that is. I mean, I get to wake up in the morning and I get to get in God's word and think about how to communicate that to you. And I get to spend time working in the ways that God has called along with my other brothers to help shepherd and pastor this church to lead us to where God's calling us to see Christ cultivated within you. Growing to maturity in Christ, that's a privilege. It's a privilege for me. I don't want to do anything else with my life. But that privilege doesn't mean that it's not hard sometimes. The pastors of this church, our families, we we experience at different times discouragement, depression, doubt, loneliness, fatigue, and exhaustion. We struggle with pride. We're tempted. We falter and fail and sin and are continually attacked spiritually. The enemy likes to speak lies to God's leaders. And your joyful obedience, your willingness to follow is one way that makes spiritual leadership a joy and not a burden. But that's not all. The reason I mentioned these statistics to you this morning is because of what the author says in verse 18. What does he say in verse 18? Pray for us. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I mention these stats because if I'm going to finish well and the other pastors of this church are going to finish well, you must pray for us. We need you to pray for us. Now, I want the leaders of this church to walk in obedience to our God so that we might lead you well, feed you well, care for you well in the best way possible to do what he says here, that we might have a clear conscience, meaning I'm trying, I'm doing this to the best of my ability, I'm seeking to honor Christ in this. That we go where we believe God's taking us so that we both, that all of us get to experience joy as we journey together. See, brothers and sisters, I don't want any of us to be a statistic. I just want us to be faithful. That's why this text connects all the way back to verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. And if you want to love us as your brothers, then please encourage us and pray for us and remind us of who we are in Christ. When we get it flipped upside down and we find our identity in being shepherds or being pastors or being anything besides sons of God. Man, remind us of who we are in Christ. Remind us that Jesus is better. In verse 19, he, he, he urges them to do this all the more earnestly. So I urge you to do the same. So here are some specific ways that you can pray for us. 
Pray for a deep and lasting love for Jesus. Pray for rich communion with God through his word and prayer. I mean, we, we struggle at times to get into God's word. We struggle at times to spend time in prayer. Pray for us that that wouldn't be the case. Pray for spiritual protection for us and our families. Pray for physical health and mental health. Pray for physical rest. Pray that God would allow us to have strong marriages and healthy marriages. Man, would you pray that our kids would know Jesus? And that they would love Jesus and love the church. So many times, kids whose dads are pastors end up not loving the church. Because it was the church that took daddy away all the time. Man, would you pray that our kids would love Jesus and love his church? Pray that we would be on guard against temptation and sin and that we would walk in holiness, that we would walk in humility. Pray for wisdom. A lot of times we have no idea what we're doing. Pray that God would show us what to do, that he'd guide us, that he would lead us in that, that we might pastor our church faithfully. Pray for more faith and pray that God would be honored in everything that we do. Brothers and sisters, please commit to praying for us so that we might pastor you with joy. We love this church. We love you. And we want to see you grow. We want to see you mature. We want to see you become more like Jesus. For those of you that don't yet know Jesus, we want to see you come to know Jesus. To trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin that you might be set free and made whole in Christ. We want to see everyone experience healing and hope in life. We want to see you give your life fully to Christ and everything he's called us to do. Following Jesus and making much of him. We want to be faithful to lead you in these things for years and years to come. And we want to do it with joy, not with groaning. The joy of shepherding requires obedience, care, and utter dependence on our unchanging Jesus. Sojourn, it is an awesome privilege to pastor you. An awesome privilege. And as imperfect as all of your pastors are, and as imperfect as all of our pastoring is, thank you for allowing us the joy to do that. So let's do this together. Let's do it together to the glory of God and for the good of one another. And one of my favorite things that we do together as a church is take communion with each other every week. And I love taking it with you and serving it to you, speaking what Christ has done for you over you. And I love that all of us come to the table equally. All genders, all ages, all ethnicities, pastors and disciples, all bought the precious blood of Christ. We eat the bread as a picture of Christ's body broken for us. We drink the cup as a picture of Christ's blood shed for us. We do this together because together we all need Jesus as much today as the day we first believed. So come forward this morning. Come forward this morning rejoicing in the gift of this community of imperfect disciples led by imperfect pastors who are here because of our perfect Savior. And for those of you that are not yet followers of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion this morning because this table is a declaration of how desperate we are for Christ. And so if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, I just want to ask you to stay in your seat. 
people be moving around. They won't really pay any attention to you. But what I would love to invite you to do is to take Christ today. Place your faith in Jesus today as your only hope. Pray to God and tell him that you want to do that. And then let somebody around you know so that we can journey with you in that. For those of you that do come forward, you can come to the tables in the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take a small cup to drink. And what Christ, our chief shepherd, has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your church. And so, Father, this morning we just pray that because it's Jesus' church that you'd help us to honor Jesus in that. Help us to follow our chief shepherd. Help us to be faithful. Lord, I pray that we as pastors in this church would walk by faith and not by fear and not by foolishness. Help us to be faithful to lead and feed and care and protect the people you've entrusted to us. And Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, following our chief shepherd, that we as the church would obey and follow and submit to the leadership of this church. Not because these are perfect leaders, because I'm a perfect leader, any of the other pastors are, but because we have a perfect Savior. And we're trusting you. So Lord, we pray that you protect our church from disunity, distrust. Help us to be for one another. Encourage one another and fan the flame that you've given each of us that we might be faithful to what you've called us to, to making much of Jesus among our neighbors and the nations. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.